Prince Harry, uh, it sounds like you've been wanting to join us at Crossroads for some time. Is that is that correct? For a long for a long time. How long would you say you were waiting? Years, many many years. So you you did eventually join us for worship. Would you be able to tell us about that first experience? Did you have emotions? Did you cry? No. I never shed a single tear at that point. I was in shock. You know, you're 12 years old, sort of. 7, 7.30 in the morning, early. Wow, our early service. We weren't sure anyone came out that early. Uh, but it sounds like you've been around Crossroads for a long time and, and that that first time was a personally profound experience for you. So you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. Like, Man, you know, Harry, we are so glad to hear that. What would you say uh, you came away with? Was it love? Was it joy? Maybe surrender? Hope? Yeah, hope. I had huge amounts of hope. Oh, wow, Pastor Tim's message gave you hope then. Mm -hmm. What would you like to say? Is there a message you have for Pastor Tim? I will be eternally grateful to him for denying me. For, for, for denying you a life without hope? Yep. So you would say that something changed in you that day, is that right? I did change, and I'm really glad I changed. Because rather than getting drunk, falling out of clubs, taking drugs, I've now found the love of my life. Let me just stop you right there, Harry. Love of your life, you mean God, not Pastor Tim, right? Yes. Well, good morning, Crossroads. Oh, man. My name is Dustin, or as Prince Harry calls me, bro. Um, and he just told me to tell you, he's so grateful that you sent him such a good-looking, well-spoken interviewer uh, to sit down with him. So uh, on behalf of him, thank you uh, for, for sending him me. Uh, that's ridiculous. I can't believe I did that. Just to pull the curtain back, uh, that was me in a room talking to a wall for about three hours. So thanks to the magic of internet. <laughs> You know, with the internet, you can make anything say anything. So it's, uh, it's, it's been fun. Hey, uh, my name is Dustin. I'm the Mishawaka campus pastor. And it is so great just to be here at our Goshen campus. Uh, and listen, uh, we are one church in multiple locations. And it's so good just to realize we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so first of all, we want to give some shout outs. Let's give it up for our Goshen campus. You guys clap for yourselves. We love you. We're so glad that you are here with us today. But we also, what about our St. Pete campus, our family down in Florida? Let's give it up to them. St. Pete, I was there earlier, uh, earlier this year. It's so good that you are with us. We love you. God is doing great things in Florida through you, and we're so glad uh, that we're a part of it. And, of course, our friends down in Nashville. Give it up for our friends in Nashville. That's right. Nashville, I had a chance to be there just last week. Man, God is doing great things. We are proud of you. Uh, we are so glad that we get to be a part, a small part of your journey and what God is doing right there in the heart of Nashville through you guys. Keep moving forward, Nashville. We love you guys. Um, also, I mean, I saved the best for last. Give it up for our Mishawaka campus. That's right. My people. I love you. Uh, I'm so glad that you guys are there with us at our Mishawaka campus. We're in the middle of a series called Royals, uh, and what we're recognizing is this. As we talk to Prince Harry and everything, all because we want us to realize this, that we need to remember who we are. That God, when God looks at you and when God looks at me, he calls us his sons 
and his daughters. You know, what an amazing idea. And because of our connection to God, that alone makes us royal. As I think about that title, though, I was, I'm brought back to a time in elementary school uh, as Dustin was just learning what it meant to get feedback on a paper I had turned in. Uh, the, the teacher had us turn some papers in, and she graded it, and then we, we walked, I don't know why we did this, in a line, we got in a line, we walked to the front of the room, and she handed us the paper. And so I walk in, I get my paper, and I see, I notice something sparkly in the corner, the top right-hand corner, there's a sticker with the shooting star, and it says the words, you're special. And in that moment, it confirmed every suspicion I'd had about myself. <laughs> I was like, my mother was correct. I am, in fact, special. You know, the teacher's smiling. I sent her a little wink, you know. Uh, you never know. Uh, just uh, so I get back to my desk and I look and I happen to notice on the person next to me, he had a sticker in the top right corner. It said he was special. So maybe it's just us two. I look around. All the kids have stickers that say they're special. And the kid in the back, the smelly kid in the back, he had two. And one of them was a scratch and sniff. Right? I was like, what's happening here? I mean, I get it now why she would give him a scratch and sniff. But at the time, I was just, where's my scratch and sniff? You know, the, the reality is in that moment, I realized if all of us are special, then none of us are special. I think sometimes when we hear words like, you are loved or you are royal, I think we treat that like a sticker we put on ourselves to, to make us feel better. I think a lot of people hear us talk about that in a place like church, a place like Crossroads, like that's all good and well for you. It makes you, it makes you feel a little better about yourself. That's good. But these aren't just trite sayings. These aren't little stickers we place upon ourselves. Truth is, we believe at the core of our being that these are deep truths about what it means to be a human and what it means to love Jesus. In fact, there's a scripture in Galatians in chapter 4. It says this, you are no longer slaves. I mean, that's exciting. It says, you're not slaves anymore. You are free. In fact, I call you sons and daughters. And not just that. He doesn't stop there. It would have been good news if he stopped there. Freedom, sons and daughters, that's fantastic. But he said, not just that, you are also heirs. Hey, there's some truth there, right? Heirs, what an amazing word. That means that we have an inheritance. Right? That means we get the house, the car, the clothes, the money, the inheritance. It's all ours. Right? What God has belongs to us. But see, when you say the word heirs, it's not just about what you get it's not just about what's passed along from generation to generation. Heir, th that word has a connotation of not just possession, but also responsibility. There is something, there's a job to do. An heir will one day be the king or queen. So there's not just possession that we get, but also responsibility. And I think that word, oh, that's a weighty word. I don't want responsibility. We try to get rid of responsibility. It's the weekend. What are you talking about, Dustin? But it's not just stuff we have to do. It's, it's an invitation to someone we can be. It's an invitation to a life of purpose that God not just calls you sons and daughters, doesn't just call us loved, but also says, I have something profound for you to do. We're all heirs to what God is doing. 
You know, what we've been doing as we've tracked that idea is we're following uh, in the Old Testament kings uh, from the Old Testament, from the first nation of Israel. We're tracking what it meant for them to be heirs and to inherit the, the, the wealth, but also the responsibility of, king, of kings. And we started out with Saul, and see, Saul struggled. He was the guy all of us would have chosen, head and shoulders above everyone else. Saul was the man. But Saul struggled to remember who he was. Saul didn't believe God when he said he was called out, cut out to be a king. And so instead of doing his job, instead of bearing his purpose and living into what God had called him to do, instead of all of that, Saul sent someone else to do his dirty work for him. Saul sent David. So Saul didn't remember who he was. And then, then we meet David, and David is a guy, one of the few people we can emulate in Scripture, right? He is the man. Saul is a man after God's own heart, or David is a man after God's own heart. He does so many great things throughout his time, and he understands. If you want to know someone who understands who he is, look at David. He knew it as he faced lions and bears as a kid protecting his sheep. He knew it as he stood on a battlefield facing a giant with zero chance to win. He said, I don't care who he is. Do you know who my God is? Do you know who God calls me? David knew who he was. But then he lost focus just for a time, and he sent someone else to war for him. In a moment of idleness and laziness, David is up on the roof looking for what could happen, and, and he falls into temptation, and he loses sight of who he is, and it ruins everything he stands for. And David's world crumbles around him, and he brings pain and suffering and death into people close to him. That's what happens when we forget who we are. David forgot who he was. Today we meet David's son, one of his sons, Solomon. And one of the first times we really get an up-close look at Solomon, it's at David's deathbed. And David is, is just about ready to die, and, and he's reconciled with God, and he pulls Solomon close to him. And we have evidence of, or we have, we have words of his last words, these, these words exchanged between dying father and an incoming king. And, and the words of a dying king, David pulls Solomon close, and he says, be a man. That's a good tattoo right there. You know, that's a good, what a good, what a good last word. He says, be a man. What does that mean? David looks at Solomon and says, be a man. Do what God says. Yeah. And I want to hear, you know, at the, at the very end of David's life, David's li lived a long, successful life for the most part. And if he had to pick one, he had to distill words of wisdom down to one thing. And he looks at Solomon, his son, and he says, Solomon, trust me, I've lived my life. Do it God's way. And with that, David passes, Solomon becomes king. And at the very beginning of Solomon's life, he's trying to live into the shadow of King David. He's trying to, what does it mean for me to be a king? And so there's an encounter that, that sets up the rest of his life. It's the origin story of how Solomon went from one of David's son to King Solomon. And we're going to live in that scripture today, and it starts out like this in 1 Kings 3, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father, David, except that Solomon, too, offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. I mean, what an incredible encounter with God. God shows up, and it turns out it's like a scene from a Disney movie. 
All right, it's like Solomon rubbed the magic lamp and God's like, I'll give you any wishes. What do you want? Now listen, if God pops up to me and says, I've got a pretty good list. All right, let's see. I'll take a Ferrari. Uh, if somebody could show up every morning with some really nice hot coffee and just give it to me every morning, that'd be great. I'd like a pool in my backyard with a hot tub attached to it and a giant slide, you know. I'd like enough money to bring back dinosaurs. I know I've seen Jurassic Park, but I think I could handle it, right? You know, like, <laughs> like I've got my list. We've all got lists of things we would do. And my guess is you have lists, but the truth is I don't think God was asking what Solomon's list of wishes was. I think there's a depth to what God is really saying to Solomon, and I think it echoes down through all of the generations to you and to me, and, and, and it's this question. Solomon, what do you want with your life? And I want to pause there for a second, because I think that's a question at face value. Sure, we can answer that. But like, why do we want the things that we want? I think God wants to ask you this question today. What is it that you want with your life? Is it stuff? Is it comfort? Is it easiness? It, what is it? What is it that you want with your life? A good family, better vacations, right? A better car. And if you have your list, why is it that you want the stuff that you want? Why is it that you want the life that you want? I think it's important for us at times to pause and ask ourselves this question. We have to answer, not just ask it, we have to answer the big why. Why are you here? Not at church, we're glad you're here. Stay here, please, don't leave. But like, why are you here? What are you doing here as a human? What is your purpose in life? You know, the reality is I think a lot of people struggle to even find the time to ask that question. Listen, I got bills to pay, I got mouths to feed, I got a job to do, I don't like my job, but I gotta go because I gotta afford my life, I just got stuff going on, I don't got time to answer that question or to ask that question. So I think few people ask the question, even fewer people have an answer that can answer that question. Yeah, I know what I'm here for, I know what my purpose in life is. And even fewer people know how to answer the, ask the question, know how to answer the question, and are living into the question. We're answering the big why. And as God asks Solomon that question, I think we need to just ask ourselves this question. What is it you want with your life? What are you doing here? The encounter with God and Solomon continues in verse six. It says this. Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O oh Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. You can almost picture Solomon approaching God and his head's down and his, his hands are up and he's like, hey, you're God, I'm not. I don't know if you can tell, but I don't know what I'm doing. This is a big thing. I don't know how to be king. How could I possibly live up to King David? Solomon approaches God with a posture of humility. And what we see here is it's a posture of humility, and that's humility over arrogance, and that's an important distinction for us to make. You know, a couple weeks ago, actually this week, I was driving through McDonald's, and I don't care what you say, I love McDonald's. I love the way it tastes. I love the way it makes me smell. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> All right, don't ask my wife the same questions, but I love McDonald's. And here's the deal. I never pay full price for fast food. All right, I got apps, and I got ways. I got coupon codes. You could call me a baller, 
on a budget. <laughs> and so last week I was going through the McDonald's drive-thru and uh, I ordered a full meal for my family. It was like $7, right? And I get to the, fr I get to the front window and uh, this guy comes through and he's got my bag full of food and he hands me a bag and I could tell by looking at it, which I'm a little embarrassed to admit, but don't judge me. I could tell by looking at it that it wasn't, it wasn't what I ordered, right? And so I'm the guy that's waiting there. Everyone behind me is honking because I get my bag of food and I'm counting individual items. It's like, if I paid for $7 worth of food, I got to get all of it, you know? <laughs> and I get to the bottom of my bag, and I found it. Much to my satisfaction, there was something missing. And I thought, yes, I get to prove how right I am. And I look to the McDonald's worker, and he's just gone on. He's, he's on to the next order. He doesn't even know I'm there. So I'm yelling. I'm like, sir, excuse me. He doesn't hear me. Now my kids are in the back seat. Thankfully, they're not old enough to remember this encounter. <laughs> So I leaned out my car window and I, I knocked on the window of the McDonald's drive-thru line. And he just got a big eyes on his face. He's like, what could this dude possibly want? I don't know what's happening. Uh, and so he, he looks at me, he's like, sir, how could I help you? I said, hey man, remember how I went through that, that drive-thru speaker and I, I had an order and it included two cheeseburgers? And he's like, yeah. And then remember how I went through the pay line and I, I paid them and it included for two cheeseburgers? He's like, yeah. And remember how you gave me a bag that did not include two cheeseburgers? I was like, I would like my cheeseburgers, please. And he looked at me, stone cold face, and he says, where is your receipt? I was like, receipt? What is this, TSA at the airport? I got to prove my identity to my passport too. And I think I'm normal. I think every person, what they do with their receipt is they get it, they crumple it up into a ball, they throw it somewhere in their car. It's gone forever. <laughs> it's never coming back. So I'm having to search. This guy's just staring at me like, you're not getting your burgers until I get my receipt. And I'm like huffing and puffing. I'm like, dude, I, I, I promise. I remember 14 seconds ago when I paid for cheeseburgers. Could you just give it to me? And eventually I reached down. I found the receipt, popped that sucker open right at the bottom, two cheeseburgers. I was like, here you go, man. Now you run to the back and give me some cheeseburgers because I paid for them. And I felt this deep sense of satisfaction as I drove away. Now here's the reality. I tell you that story just because I need you to know I was right. <laughs> You're welcome. But you know, in being right, I was also wrong. Because into that whole encounter, I did not have a posture of humility. I had a posture of arrogance. My posture of arrogance is said, me, Dustin, ordering food. I got the money. You just work here. Give me my stuff. Dustin knows what he's talking about. You are a dummy. You don't know what you're talking about. Right? And I had this posture of arrogance. And so even though I was 100% correct, and I had suffered a slight version of what you could call injustice, I was still incredibly wrong as I encountered another human. And I bring up that story because I do wonder how many times as we approach people in our life that we can approach it from a posture of arrogance. And even though you're right, you're also wrong. And not only just with people, because I think a lot of times in our relationships, our marriages, our, our, our families, our kids online, we approach things and arguments and conversations from a posture of arrogance. I know what I'm talking about. You're a little dummy who works at McDonald's. No offense if you work at McDonald's. It's a great place to work. I don't know why I keep saying that. Anyway, I had a posture of arrogance. And my question is this, how are you approaching God? Because even more important than our relationships with people, I think sometimes uh, we look up to God and we're like, God, this isn't the life that I ordered. I feel like my life is two cheeseburgers short of complete and it doesn't feel right. And here's the reality, you're probably right. 
You probably are suffering some form of injustice in your life, but you can be right and still be wrong. And if we're approaching God like, hey God, I've got a plan for you. Why haven't you given me what I wanted? Why haven't you let me get into the school of my dreams? Why haven't you given me the relationship of my dreams? Why don't I feel happy, God? Why don't I feel, feel successful? Why don't I feel this? Why don't I feel that? And we come to God with this list of stuff and he cares about it. But I think sometimes if we approach God with a posture of arrogance instead of a posture of humility, we not only forget who we are, we forget who God is. And half the battle of understanding who we are is understanding who God is. God is the king of the universe. He speaks and galaxies are born. He cares about the intricate details of your life. But I think sometimes we have to ask ourselves and check ourselves, how are we approaching God? Posture of humility, posture of arrogance. Let's approach God with a posture of humility like Solomon. The encounter continues here in verse eight and it says this. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased. I'm going to read that again. The Lord, God of the universe, was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for long life or wealth or the death of your enemies. I'm going to pause there for a second. So you can almost feel the weight of the crown on Solomon's head as he approaches with the posture of humility. Like the responsibility, the burden of being king is heavy on him. And as he asks God for what he wants, he's like, God, how do you expect me to do all of this? And in that moment, he prays not for more stuff, not for abundance, but he prays for wisdom. Solomon prays the prayer for wisdom. And this is wisdom over abundance. I think this is important for us to pause and talk about because if you notice, it said that the Lord was pleased. As Solomon prayed this prayer, it made God happy. It brought God joy to see Solomon pray for this. And I think if we see that, we should probably ask, what is it that brings God joy? And I think there's a few things we could take away from this. Number one is this, what Solomon prayed for was not just more stuff and better circumstances in life. Solomon prayed that his character would grow. Solomon prayed that something inside of him would get better and better. And it's as if God loves Solomon so much and when he heard a prayer about Solomon becoming better and, and, and more, have more wisdom, that it, God had joy to give it to him. As if God cared more about who Solomon was becoming than what he was getting. God cared more about who Solomon was becoming than how successful he was. God cared tremendously about Solomon. And not only that, Solomon's prayer, he asked not just for things for himself, but he understood that the crown he wore meant that his life was no longer just about him. His life was about all of these people, so many that can't be counted, and they knew, he knew that people were looking to him, they counted on him, and it was his responsibility to influence them. That was part of his why, that was part of what it meant to be king. I mean, when God heard that he recognized it wasn't just all about him, it brought him joy. 
And finally, Solomon did not fall into the trap that so many fall into, the trap that thinks our life is about accumulating more and more stuff. That our life is about living in abundance and having more time and more resources and more stuff. And so God saw all of these three things in Solomon, and he said, that prayer brought me joy. And that brings me to this question, what is it that you're asking for? As you approach God, what are you praying for? Because here's what I think we need to know. Number one, God cares about you as a person And he cares more about who you are becoming than about what your circumstances look like. And you might be going through a struggle right now. But God cares about what's in your heart. He cares about the kind of person you are. And he invites you to ask him to grow in spite of your circumstances. Also, God wants us to recognize that when we come to faith in Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, our life is no longer just about us. That faith is never meant to just be about you and your eternal destiny. You're invited into something so much bigger than that. It's about the people around us, your friends, your coworkers. And finally, it's about not falling into the abundance trap. How many of us fall into the trap where we think our life is about getting more experiences, better marriages, more happiness, more better vacations, better cars, better houses? How many of us try to fill the void in our soul with more stuff? And Solomon hears the words of his dad ring true in his ear. He says, listen, son, I've had it all and none of it matters if you're not living God's way didn't fall into the abundance trap. And I I wonder, as we approach God, what are we asking for? Are we asking for more stuff? Are we asking about the people around us? Are our prayers selfish? Are we praying just about our comfort level and happiness? What is it you're asking for? Story keeps going here in verse 12. It says this. God answers Solomon. He says, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. God sees Solomon, and he wants to bless Solomon. Solomon, from this moment on, this is the beginning of what he would become the greatest king in the history of Israel. He would usher in the golden era of this country that people still, to this day, look back on with reverence. Solomon built the temple. He accumulated more wealth than ever thought possible. Kings would travel for miles and miles away with caravans of gold and silver just to lay it at Solomon's feet, just so that they could hear him give his wisdom. Solomon wrote poetry and songs and all this stuff. Everything that God said would happen became true in Solomon's life. And it all happened from this single prayer. And I want us to pause on that because we need to recognize the root cause of Solomon's success was not his achievement. It was not his ability to be a good king or a good leader. The root of Solomon's success was obedience. In this moment, we understand the power of obedience, and this is obedience over achievement. And now, God's plan for every person is not to give them wealth and riches and and long life and happiness, 
But God's plan is better than any plan we can come up with on our own. And there is power in obedience. That's a word we don't like, you know, the word obedience. It's good for our kids, right? It's like, hey, we want our kids to obey us. Go to your room, clean up that mess, put your toys away, right? Like, we like obedience in children, but then you ask obedience from a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Our rebellious little hearts don't like the concept of obedience. It's like, don't tread on me, man. Who are you to tell me how to live my life? I'm going to do my way, my stuff all the time. Our hearts twist at the idea of obedience. I think when we say obedience, we mean a couple things. Number one, we mean is this, that God has established a path, a guideline, a code for life, and he has given it to us, and that is accessible. Any of us can, can reach it. It's most often given to us and revealed to us in his word as we read through scripture like we're doing today. And in that code, God gives a way for us to live in all areas of life. In, in our marriages, he gives us a way to be married. In our sex life, he gives us a way to, to, to engage in that, to have a fulfilling life, a sex life. He does. It's in the Bible. In our jobs, in our finances, and very rarely does God's way match up with what the popular opinion of the day is. It's often countercultural to do things God's way. I mean, think about a fast food chain. I don't know why I'm talking about fast food so much, but, but there's a, <laughs> who knows, maybe you guys can figure it out. Uh, <laughs> A CEO of one of the largest fast food chains in the world decided as every other fast food company was going to go 24 hours, open for breakfast, open in the middle of the night, he said, we're going to shut one out of every seven days down because that's what I feel like God told me to do. And now they're like in the top five most successful companies. Why? Because God's way is always better than our way. And a life of obedience, first thing, means we do things God's way before we do it ours. But I think there's a second level of obedience because God didn't just establish a way and step back from creation and watch it, uh, watch it live itself out. The whole point of the Old Testament is for us to realize that God is a personal God who desires to know you. And I think God, for each of you, calls us to something, calls us to live into something, calls us for a divine purpose, a divine calling, a divine why. God calls each of you to something in order to know what that is, you got to hear what God says. In order to hear what God says, you got to stop to listen to it. And the reality is, we could live our whole lives in obedience to what God's way is, and yet be in disobedience because we're not willing to step into the why he's created us for. God's inviting you to a life of obedience, a life of why, and he has something significant for you to do. And I think the reality of obedience is even though it feels like this, this relationship that gets missed and it feels like a robot, the reality is obedience is the best expression of love. And if you love God, you obey God. The story continues with Solomon because things did not go well in Solomon. Let's read how it happens a few chapters later. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Solomon began to live in disobedience. 
And guys, I'm convinced Solomon didn't wake up one day and said, you know what? Today's a good day to disobey God. I'm going to stop living the way I was living. This is dumb. This is boring. I'm going to do, I'm going to go wild. That's not how it happens in Solomon's life. And it's not how it happens in our life. It starts with little small decisions. Like, you know, I'm not going to go to the sacrifices today. I'm not going to read the scriptures today. I'm not going to do this today. And eventually, Solomon's inviting his wives to, to, that's a whole other thing. I'm not going to listen to God's idea of marriage. He's inviting all these wives over, and and they're bringing their gods in. And Solomon's like, I guess it's cool with me. The next thing you know, Solomon is walking the exact opposite way of who God had called him to be. And I want us to recognize this about Solomon because it's true about us. When Solomon lost his why, when we lose our why, he lost everything. When Solomon lost his why, he lost his everything. If we're not living a life of purpose that God called us to, we lose everything. You know, the reality is this. Uh, Solomon, like David, wrote lots of poetry in the Bible. He wrote one of the books called Ecclesiastes. If you're ever in a great mood, read that. It'll break it for you. Uh, (laughs) But but I think it's important for us. Let's approach this with a posture of humility because Solomon and David both lived long, successful lives, and they had everything you could imagine and want. They had it all. Everything you think you might want in life, they had it and probably 100 times better. And at the end of both of their lives, they had similar messages. Because at the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes this. This is the very last line of Ecclesiastes. It says this. That's the whole story. Here is now my final conclusion. Of my whole life's work, fear God and obey his commandments. For this is everyone's duty. This is everyone's purpose. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. He said this is the conclusion. Fear God. That's an Old Testament word for respect and love God and live his way. And he says that's purpose in life. And I want to end with that today because I think the reality is this. It's easy for us in life just to begin floating. It's easy for our faith just to become this thing we hope makes us feel a little bit better. But God is inviting each of you to something profound. First, to a life of obedience. But second, he calls us to an individual calling a life where you can have a profound difference in the world around you. My last question before we finish today is this. Are you living your why? Are you living into your purpose? You know, across all of our campuses today, we're going to have a chance just to dwell in this question, the question of what is your why? And here's the reality. There's a lot of whys you could live for. There's a lot of really good whys. You can live for your family. That's a great why. You can live for for friends, you can live for happiness, you can live for success, you can live for the money, you can live for the good time, you can live for the weekend. There's a lot of reasons to live, but there's only one reason compelling enough to die for. And I've got good news for you, friends. As it says in Galatians, God does not call you to a life of slavery, but to freedom. He calls you his sons and daughters, and not just that. He calls you his heirs. He calls you royal. And with that title comes all the inheritance, but it also comes with a purpose. You are created on purpose for a purpose. Are you living into your why? Here's the reality. The best first step you could take is to say yes to Jesus. So every Sunday at Crossroads, we say this prayer because we're convinced that some people and all of us need to say yes to Jesus, but some of us need to say it for the first time. 
And as we say this, well, we're not just an empty prayer. It's not a sticker we put on ourselves to feel better. There is a deep truth that in this moment, you transition from being slave to free. In this moment, you transition from being slave to son and daughter. In this moment, if you say yes to Jesus, you now have the purpose of an heir of a royal. So church, say this prayer with me. Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the savior of the world, that you gave your life to forgive my sins, and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I am saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Amen. That's right. You know, uh, I'm going to talk just to our, our Goshen campus right now and in this moment, in this room, as, as we just process what it means for our why. Uh, truthfully, Jesus gives the best answer. I mean, guys, God's called us to, to do significant things in our life. You know, every single week we, we have these connect cards on your chair. Uh, that helps us stay connected to you. If you said yes to Jesus for the first time, mark that. We'll, like, call you and help you take your steps with Jesus. And maybe there's something in your spirit that says, hey, I, I've fallen away. I, like Solomon, I've drifted away, and I've gone the wrong direction, and I've let it, let, let it creep away from who I, I know I am. You can check that box that says, I'm recommitting my life to Jesus today. You know, the reality is this. You know, the average says that people come to church 1.4 times a month. Not you, the other person. You know, it's interesting. We get these cards back, and the single thing that's marked the most, and I love this. This is amazing. Keep marking it. The thing that's marked the most is this. I want to grow in my faith. Yeah, but there's a disconnect there. You know, like, if we want to grow in your faith, we got to invest in our faith. And listen, there's a lot of places to do it, good places, but at Crossroads, I think it's a pretty great place to come and invest in your own faith, invest in what God is doing. So there's another line on that thing. If you're not doing this, I invite you to do it. Serve. I'm not asking because we need more help. I'm in my campus. What am I doing? Here's the reality, that when you step into service, you step closer to the heart of Jesus because he doesn't just, he cares about other people. He's invited you to have a heart for other people. And it's not just a sticker we wear. Like, if you want to grow in your faith, serve. I promise you, you're going to see Jesus like you never had before. Because there's a lot of steps for you, for us to take. I truly believe that, man, obedience is love. So if we say we love Jesus, let's take a step of obedience today. This song we're singing is called Available. And the cry of this song is this. Here I am, God. I don't know what my why is, but I'm ready for it. How amazing would it be if today was your day? This is your moment to step into the life God called you, to ask the question, answer the question, and live the question. Jesus, we are so grateful for the life of Solomon, for it teaches us so much. And in this moment, we approach you with the posture of humility. God, we don't want to just come to you with arrogance and say, I've got it figured out. I don't need you. I can do it on my own. And maybe that's us today. God, we lay that at your feet. Because your way is better than our way. We've done it our way. We see where that gets us. So God, help us. Wherever we are in this moment, in this place, help us to take a step of obedience towards you. A little step, a big step, a tiny inch of a step, whatever it is. Jesus, help us to take that step. Put it on the card. Make it a reality. Jesus, thank you. Here we are. We're available. In your name we pray. Amen.